Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My Hi. name is Nick. Hi. Hi, Nick. My name is Mika. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. <laughs> and this is a podcast where I attempt to teach music history to my wife. That's me. We met before. Surprise. <laughs> I feel like it's been a long time since we've done this. It has been a long time. It's been a time. couple weeks. Do you want to tell the people why it's been a couple weeks? Well, I mean, the real reason it's been a couple weeks is because we recorded a couple episodes beforehand. So so we didn't have yeah, to record another one. Yeah, we didn't have to one. record another one. But also... There's a more dramatic <laughs> reason. <laughs> <laughs> also, we got hit by a tornado in our neighborhood. So that was fun. It touched down like two blocks, a block and a half away from us. It was two blocks. Okay. And it was pretty much a week and a day ago from when we're recording this. Mm-hmm. But by the time this will be up, it's probably be more like two weeks or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Everything was fine. We just didn't have power. Well, everything for us was fine. That's, yep, that's what I meant. Yeah. Everything is definitely not fine. Yes. Our apartment didn't really get touched somehow because, I mean, it definitely hit our neighborhood. Our neighborhood was one of the worst that was hit. That has gotten coverage. I don't know. I still feel like there were a lot of other places that were hit just as bad. I mean, just yeah, there was places that were hit worse than us. But I mean, like, yeah, if we're one. Of, we're one we're of the ones that are mentioned. We're just in downtown Nashville, and yeah, so we're like the ones us, that get all of the attention. It's like us, East Nashville, Mount Juliet, Donaldson, and Cookville. Now people are going to know where we live. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's like still a place. But yeah, our apartment was fine, but. Other people aren't so fortunate. So in the show notes of this episode, I'm going to link an article that's uh, on the Tennessean website, I think. Maybe Nashville scene, but I think it's the Tennessean. That just kind of like lists all of the different ways you can help. And there's like you can donate financially or if you're near the area somehow, you can donate your time and people volunteer People came and stuff. from Indiana specifically to volunteer. It was insanely cool. Um, Nashville is amazing. Middle Tennessee is amazing. And um, that extends out to all the people who are coming to help. It's so great. Yeah. Nashville's strong. But if you can't make it down to Nashville, which is entirely reasonable, especially with the coronavirus and people not allowed to travel. Oh, yeah. We have that now, too. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, there's a lot of other really, like, cool ways you can help. There's there's a few, like, T-shirts you can buy that are pretty cool that all proceeds go to helping recovery. There's just a general fund you can donate to. All the fun stuff. But yeah, I'll link that. I'll link the article that like talks about how you can help in the show notes. Yay. If anyone is interested in helping out Music City. There's definitely a lot of people who got displaced and who need support. So every little bit helps. Is there anything else you wanted to anything yeah. else you want to plug or talk about or anything like that before we get started? I'm a little late to the game, but I was listening to Halsey's new album again today and it's so good. You're welcome. It was so good. <laughs> Mika does not, or has historically not liked Halsey. But, I mean, it's I've so always good. been somewhat of a fan. I didn't like the album she put out right before this one. I don't remember the name of any of them, but I don't. Happens? No, that was the first one that I liked. Oh, okay. The second one was, I don't know, it's just, it was more, I don't know. I didn't like it. She's really cool. She has a way with words. Yes. I've always thought that her lyrics were really good, but there's something about this one that's just amazing. Yes, I really love this album. So I told Mika that she needed to give this one a shot. It's so and good. Now she likes it. So and you're welcome for that. Matt Carney has a single out. I just saw it like a few minutes ago. I haven't even listened to it, but you know it's amazing. So I'm plugging that one too. <laughs> 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 I 
All right. Well, last week we talked about ragtime and the big three of ragtime. Did you, like, you knew about ragtime before we covered it because you knew it was the Western music. I knew it was the music that played in the saloon before the bad guy came in. <laughs> and it's, it's just all upbeat and, like, syncopated and, and just silent film yeah. Western saloon. Sure. That's I mean, that's all anyone I feel like normally knows about it, if they're okay. like me. <laughs> I can't say anyone. Do you remember any of the names of the big three? I do not remember <laughs> names, duh. But I do remember that there was that one dude who was like the king of ragtime. Yep. And he, if he liked someone's music, then he'd just be like, oh, this is great. Hey, um, producer guy who sells all the music, yep. you should sell this too. <laughs> and that was pretty cool. Yep. Do you remember Ben Harney? No. And his love of wagons? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that was ragtime. We're not talking about ragtime today, but we're talking about a style that you might know a little bit more about than you knew about ragtime. Talking about the blues today. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. So, what do you know about the blues other than that little riff you just sang? <laughs> Other than Michael Scott in a van. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Not terribly much. All right. Harmonicas? You don't want to like, well, I mean, yeah. You don't want to like throw any guesses out there? I don't know what I'm guessing about. I mean, it's the blues. It's I can identify that it's one just if more you ask me. It's you know? just more fun for you, for me, to hear you try to and like describe, describe things. Okay. Um, I mean, you said one was like a, a van at some point, right? What? You said I think it was vaudeville. You said it was like a '70s van. I did. S yeah, I did say like a hippie van or something. <laughs> like the mystery machine is what you that called is, vaudeville. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, if the blues. We're a car. Because <laughs> I know so much about cars, yeah, this too. Is, you're setting yourself no, listen, up for no, failure. No, 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 never mind. If the blues were a way of transportation, it would be a train. Yeah, I get that. And it's because of, you know, the people that would be on the, the like, hopping yeah. on the trains and, and they'd for some reason sing the blues. <laughs> when I think about, like, if the blues were a car, I just think, like, station wagon. I don't know why, but that's what my brain landed on first, and that's what I'm sticking with. I think station wagons are like rock and roll. No. What? They're two. They're not. Well, whatever. I guess that does sound pretty stupid. <laughs> I'm picturing like a very specific like Volvo and like. I'm just thinking of my dad's old station wagon. I don't know. Anyway. Your dad loves rock and roll. <laughs> he also loves not rock and roll. <laughs> what? I mean, he loves like. The Bee Gees and like uh, <laughs> he, he's, he leans pop, I would say. He leans like easy rock or pop. Yacht rock. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're talking about the blues and it's a little bit hard to adequately cover, especially in like such a short episode. For one thing, it doesn't like have an official start date. No one really knows where exactly it came. Well, we know where it came from, but we don't know like who the first person was to play the blues or, you know, like what was the first song or whatever. And it doesn't have an end date either because people are still playing the blues. So it's not like we can just give a complete picture like we did for Ragtime or Minstrelsy or anything like that. 
because it's still going on right now. That's basically how the rest of the music is going to be, yes. isn't it? <laughs> basically. We're getting to a part that's going to be really challenging for me to plan out. And I think pretty soon we're going to have to switch from like covering genres per episode to covering like time periods. We're okay. going to have to be like, we're going to cover 1940 to 1945 in this one. And, you know, interesting. Just because like, Especially around like the fifties, there's still jazz, there's swing, there's rock and roll, there's country, there's blues, there's mm-hmm. all of this stuff happening at once, and it's like, well, when do we? But whatever, we'll get there. I It'll be a while. In you. I trust you. It'll. It's a while for recording, but I'm already trying to write those, and it's a major headache. But anyway. it's fun, right? Because that's yeah. the whole point of this: is <laughs> yeah, for you to is. have fun. <laughs> okay. Well, in this, we're gonna look at blues from when it was first introduced to the wider wider world and we're going to stop around like 1930 there's still stuff happening after 1930 in the blues and there's still some like really important people to talk about but i don't really want to get ahead of ourselves we're going to like talk about other things before we get there since we're still like in the early 1900s right now we're gonna we're gonna stick there for this one and then we'll talk about the 1930s when we get there Blues has a stereotype of being about self-pity and down-on-my-luck lyrics, but it's really about so much more than that. So many blues songs speak about overcoming adversity and rising above the hardships you face. The blues grew out of African spirituals and slave chants and was primarily created by current and former slaves and sharecroppers. Current? Yeah, well, like, not current slaves, current sharecroppers. Okay. Well, (laughs) also probably current slaves. Like, we don't know for sure, but they might have been... singing at least an early form of the blues back when they were still slaves they sang as they worked in the fields so with that being the backdrop it's kind of hard to imagine like a happy style of music coming out of that i would be miserable yeah exactly and so their music just kind of spoke into what their situation was and it wasn't the best of situations at that point but it uh speaks to their condition and their experience in a profound way that's the best kind of music though Like the music that's like, man, this is tough mm-hmm. to put it very, very lightly. But like that's <laughs> that's always my favorite kind of thing yeah. to listen to is is that style of like it actually has meaning sure. and, and gives hope. Yeah, it's a style of music that in many ways just like speaks to their story and speaks about speaks into like what was happening at I that love point. Music. Okay. Even cool. after turn of the 1900s when slavery wasn't happening but there were still Jim Crow laws and a lot of racism especially in the deep south where blues was born there's still like a lot of hardship so blues kind of just talks to that too the blues grew up in the Mississippi Delta which is kind of north of New Orleans where jazz was born the two genres would constantly interact and they would like change and influence each other and in many ways they still do but especially back then. It's impossible to say any single person invented blues or was the first blues performer, but several people claim to have discovered it. This isn't the story of W.C. Handy, though he does kind of deserve his own episode. We're not going to give him one, but he deserves one. (laughs) Uh, But it's important to tell a little bit about him since he is technically the father of the blues and is probably the one who brought it to the attention of the world. So he's really important, but he's boring, so we don't (laughs) give him an episode. He's not boring. There's just other people who are way more (laughs) interesting. There always are. W.C. Handy was born in Florence, Alabama in 1873. His father was the pastor of a small church. 
His father believed that musical instruments were the tools of the devil. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I never understood how people can believe that when literal all through like the Bible, all through songs, like, yay, joyful noise, musical instruments. Like, I do not understand. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, Handy secretly saved money and bought a guitar that he saw in a store window. What a rebel. <laughs> when his father saw it, he asked, what possessed you to bring a sinful thing like that into our Christian home? The devil. Dun, <laughs> dun, dun. And then he made him return the guitar. Oh. However, he did let his son take organ lessons. The only instrument <laughs> that you're allowed to play. I love it so much. All instruments are of the devil, except the, the this one. <laughs> this one that literally sounds so haunting <laughs> is the one that is safe. <laughs> Handy didn't love the organ, and he quickly changed the coronet. And he spent like pretty much every free moment. Did you say he clarinet? Had. Coronet. What is a coronet? You don't know a coronet? It's kind of. It looks a little no, bit like am a I trumpet. Supposed to know a coronet? I mean, it gets really popular through jazz, so. I just always thought that those were trumpets. I'm sorry. Please back me up. Surely everyone listening does not know about coronets, right? I cannot be the only one. Okay. Sorry, I'm mispronouncing it. It's cornet, not coronet. It's just cornet. That's a cornet. Looks a little bit like a trumpet, right? <laughs> it looks like a very confused trumpet. It's similar to the trumpet, but distinguished from it by its canonical bore, more compact shape, and mellower tone quality. It's got so many loop-de-loops going. <laughs> I think we talk about this, but uh, Louis Armstrong started on the cornet. Anyway, <laughs> he started playing the cornet, and he loved it, and he spent trumpet. every moment playing it. Yes, he started on the loop-de-loop trumpet. As why he could he play that one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why he was suddenly allowed to play that <laughs> one, but whatever. As he grew up, Handy started to teach agriculture in Alabama, but he would also organize small-time orchestras on the side. This would be a theme throughout his life. He would switch between band leading and teaching until like, he got enough popularity to become a full-time musician. He would often teach people to read and write music during this stage of his career. Like He would start an orchestra and then like have to teach them how to actually read the music. In 1902... Teaching band in high school. Yeah, basically. In 1902, Handy traveled the rural Mississippi Delta, where music was a huge part of their culture, to listen to African-American music. His excellent memory allowed him to transcribe what he heard when he got home. That's insane. Yeah, like that's a really key part of Handy's story is just how insane his memory was. Like he, wa he had such like a high musical memory. He could just like hear a song and then days later write it perfectly. That is impressive as heck. He quit his job teaching and started performing slash leading a minstrel troupe. In 1903, Handy was appointed the band leader for the Knights of Pythias Orchestra. That's so <laughs> pretentious. While he was waiting for a train in Alabama, quote, a lean, loose-jointed Negro had commenced plunking a guitar beside me while I slept. As he played, he pressed the knife on the strings of the guitar in a manner popularized by Hawaiian guitarists who used steel bars. The singer repeated the line three times, accompanying himself on the guitar with the weirdest music I had ever heard. <laughs> this is said to be the moment he discovered the blues. Okay. Yeah. But he still didn't quite get it when he heard it first. He, he didn't understand what he heard, and he didn't do anything with it. 
it hadn't struck him what the blues could be and what it meant to people. Like, oh man, that was weird. Yeah, I moved on that's basically what it was. He's like, man, that's a weird sound, but cool. At least he didn't think it was of the devil. I think he knew at that point <laughs> that music was not evil. In 1905, Handy was playing in Mississippi. Someone asked if they could hear their native music. So Handy played what he thought they meant, like a southern spiritual song. But then they asked if they could hear a local band play. So they're basically like, nah, you're not getting it. I want to hear, <laughs> let's hear our guys do it. <laughs> so Handy allowed a three-piece led by Prince McCoy with a guitar, stand-up bass, and mandolin to play. Handy described it as, they struck up one of those over-and-over over strains that seemed to have no beginning and certainly no ending at all. The strumming attained a disturbing monotony, but on and on it went. The kind of stuff associated with sugarcane rows and levee camps. Thump, thump, thump went their feet on the floor. It was not really annoying or unpleasant. Perhaps haunting is a better word. I mean, I guess that's how you want music to be ascribed. It's not annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not of the devil. <laughs> At first, he doubted the music, but after watching them a little longer, he said, a rain of silver dollars began to fall around the outlandish stomping feet. The dancers went wild. There before the boys lay more money than my nine musicians were being paid for the entire engagement. Dang. Then I saw the beauty of primitive music. It makes money. <laughs> they had the stuff people wanted. It touched the spot. Their music wanted polishing, but it contained the essence. Folks would pay money for it. I guess that's kind of fair. Mm -hmm. It's the thing, like, basically, it was honest and real. It was the people's music. It I mean, spoke yeah. to what they were going through, which was far different than minstrelsy and vaudeville that was happening. But at the same time, he saw the commercial side of it. Like, he saw both. He saw that, like, yeah, this could make money, but he also saw, like, it's also real and honest and, like, speaks to them. The rest of Handy's career would be dedicated to popularizing the blues. He copied down the performance, and it became the standard for the blues we know today. A typical blues song is a 12-bar structure that moved along three chords using flattened blue notes. The vocal line was four repeated bars answered by a third line. In 1913, Handy wrote a campaign song for a mayoral candidate in Memphis. It was called Memphis Blues, and it became the first published example of blues music. Handy self-published it. Doesn't Jet Black have a Memphis Blues Yeah, song? they do. <laughs> Another plug, Jet Black <laughs> Alley Cat, Memphis Blues. It's probably not the same thing. No, not at all. <laughs> Handy self-published it, but it didn't do well until 1914 when the Victor Recording Company House Band recorded it and released it. You want to hear that recording? I do want to hear that recording. Right, here's uh, Memphis Blues by the Victor House Band. Doesn't really sound like the blues we would think of, does it? No. It reminds me of a carnival. Hmm. There's that haunting element. <laughs> reminds me a little bit of jazz. Just without like the high tempo of jazz. Alright, that was Memphis Blues. It also did sound very political. Yeah. Somehow <laughs> it sounded haunting, political, and like I'm at a carnival all at once. <laughs> There's actually a s 
small bit of controversy about the Memphis Blues being the first published blues song because in 1912, a few months before Memphis Blues, a popular performer named Baby Seals released <laughs> Baby Seals Blues. That sounds like <laughs> a name that you would have today. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, have you heard Baby Seals' <laughs> new single? Baby Seals Blues. Baby, I want you back. <laughs> So that was for sure the first time that the word blues was used in print, and it may be the first blues songs published. But it's a bit different in style to the blues popularized by Handy, and I think people like just really want the father of blues to have the first published blues song, so people just kind of like overlook Baby Sweep Seals. Sweep it under the rug. Yeah, Look, basically. You don't put Baby Seals in a corner. <laughs> Do you even get that reference? Yes, it's Thank dirty God. dancing. <laughs> After this, Handy moved to New York to open a publishing house, and he continued his work as a band leader heavily focused on promoting the blues. Here is W.C. Handy performing one of his most popular songs called St. Louis Blues. Well, he probably is playing cornet in it. Apparently, he just really likes naming his songs after cities, if that's his thing. It's like a little bit more upbeat than I'd expect from a blues song. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Good. In 1958, W.C. Handy died of bronchial pneumonia in New York City. 25,000 people attended his funeral in Harlem. Holy cow. While another 150,000 gathered in the streets near the church to pay respects. Holy cow. Yeah, he was real popular by that time. Handy worked, perhaps more than anyone else, to bring blues out of rural obscurity into the spotlight. For many, he became the be-all and all of blues. He was basically the god of blues. Whatever he said Man, went. the king, the god, this is the <laughs> father, like... He's he everything. He keeps getting more and more, like, high power. <laughs> In a later interview, here is how he described the blues. Each one of my blues is based on some old song of the South, some folk song that I heard from my mammy when I was a child, something that sticks in my mind that I hum to myself when I'm not thinking about it, some old song that is a part of the memories of my childhood and of my race. I can tell you the exact song I used as a basis for any one of my blues. I bet he can. He can probably yeah. write it out. Yes, the blues that are genuine are really folk songs. There's a pretty cool interview that I read with Handy from like his later years. It's actually where that quote was taken from. Uh, a lot of it links blues to like its African-American roots, which is pretty cool. And to Handy, that was sounded like that's what it was all about. Like It was all about promoting the true, authentic African-American music. Which it had um, been a long time coming, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. For sure. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll link that. I'll link that interview in the show notes as well. It's kind of crazy to consider the influence that W.C. Handy had on the world of popular music, because like, most of the biggest names in rock and roll cite blues as their primary influence. That's Pe cool. People like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, all of them, they grew up listening to and imitating the blues. Like when they were in high school, that's what they would listen to and play. Jazz as we know it probably wouldn't exist without the blues, and neither would country and folk music. They all kind of owe a lot of their genre or a lot of their origin to blues. You think about all of all of that and then like all of the bands and artists that those guys since influenced. 
the impact of blues is just kind of immeasurable. And all of that because W.C. Handy saw a performance in Alabama and recognized the potential that that music had. Or because of Baby Seal. <laughs> yeah, or Baby Seal. But, I mean, at that point, Handy had already, like, been publishing a few songs. They just weren't recorded. 1910 saw the beginning of what is called the Great Migration. This was when a lot of the African Americans in the South fled north to escape the oppressive Jim Crow laws and other racism that was rampant. When they left, they took their music with them. This, more than anything else, led to the spread of the blues. A typical blues performance would be in like a tent show, where a musician would travel along with a traveling doctor or circus or magician and play in a tent. How does a doctor fit in with that? I mean, the doctors just traveled along, so I guess they would just like move into a city, set up a tent, and treat people. And, like, and also, we got a musician. It's like, in this corner, <laughs> you can hear... Baby Seal in this corner. Watch this doctor <laughs> diagnose. You're really someone hung with up on Baby box. Seals, aren't you? <laughs> I love Baby Seal, okay? It's Baby Seals. There's multiple of them. <laughs> Picturing Baby <laughs> Seal, like the baby version of Seal. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling oh. with a doctor performing a lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Because of strict uh, like segregation laws, African Americans were not allowed to be in the same audience as white people. So that meant that African Americans had a large say over how the genre developed and grew, which is probably for the best. <laughs> Most of the top blues musicians performed solo with a guitar. If W.C. Handy was the father of the blues, then Ma Rainey was the mother of the blues. By age 16, Ma was traveling and singing with her parents' musical act. By 1905, Ma and her husband were a popular pair, known as Ma and Pa Rainey. <laughs> they were uh, traveling along and playing music when she heard a blues performer and, much like Handy, knew, like, recognized how powerful it was. She also had a great mind that could memorize music, so she started closing all of her shows with that performance. Which <laughs> Seems a little... Yeah, I'm a little like, uh, she just stole that from someone, but... She probably... Maybe... Let's just say that she cited them, you know? Yeah, sure. Like, in the comments. <laughs> like, had it. like uh, She put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Photo creds from... <laughs> she went on to have a very long and fruitful career with millions of records sold. She also had a hand in promoting people like Bessie Smith and Louis Armstrong. Oh, cool. Here's her performing with a young Louis Armstrong. That's Ma. I'm thinking that's Louie. This has a little bit more of the blues feeling. Yes, that is Jelly Bean Blues by Ma Rainey. So cute. Helped by Louis Armstrong. It's like me when I was a kid and like my parents made me stop eating candy. <laughs> you sang a blues song about it. <laughs> Jelly Bean Blues. <laughs> In 1920, Mamie Smith became the first black performer to be recorded singing the blues. Her song, called Crazy Blues, launched blues into the mainstream. Nice. It sold 10,000 recordings in the first week and 75,000 in the first month. 
alert it unfortunately led to the birth of what is called race music <laughs> which was used to describe african american music its legacy can easily be traced like all the way to r&b and hip hop today one historian said Mamie Smith in her recording was like the opening shot. I think the black public was ready to start buying records. There was enough of a working class with money that were ready, willing, and able to buy recordings that were coming out of their own culture. And Crazy Blues was just kind of like, okay, yeah. And then record companies were like, sure, we'll start publishing that if people are going to buy it. All right. After this, blues transformed from backroom entertainment and tent shows to performances in theaters. It really was a game changer for American music, considering everything the blues influenced. Here's Crazy Blues. Crazy Blues. It's yep. about a crazy person. Yep, that's it. We don't need to listen to it. My name is Ma. Is that my story for crazy people? <laughs> it's not Ma, it's Mimi. It's Mimi. This is Mimi Smith. So bad with me. I'm so, so, so sorry. <laughs> don't treat me right. He makes me feel so blue. I'll be honest, this one's not my favorite. Because it just seems a little scattered. Like the rhythm just seems so scattered to me. That's part of the point, isn't it? I don't know. I thought it's supposed to at least line up a little bit. It didn't bother me. Okay. In the 1920s, Blind Lemon Jefferson became one of the best-known musicians in the country for his style of blues. Hold on. Blind yes. Lemon. Yes. Cool. Jefferson. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is now known as the father of the Texas blues. Oh, okay. Another dad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jefferson was born blind, and he worked as a street musician in his teens before traveling to Dallas, where he met and played with legendary blues musician Lemon. Led Lead belly. <laughs> Lead belly. Lead belly. <laughs> just constantly was so full that he felt like his belly was full of lead. We're going to talk about lead belly in a minute. In a minute, And no one is for sure known. No, no one for sure knows why he is called lead belly. And there's a few different theories and they're all great. I think that mine is most likely. <laughs> I don't know what the other ones are, but. Once you learn about lead belly, you might think some of the other ones are what more do likely. Do eat lead? Well, <laughs> hold, we'll get there. Good God. Um, Blind Lemon Jefferson is unique because he did what others rarely did before him. He became successful as a solo artist. Before this, blues was accompanied by a band or orchestra, like we heard with Crazy Blues in uh, Ma Rainey. Jefferson played alone with his guitar, and he was one of the first people to have solo recordings in like the history of recording. Jefferson died in 1929, and there are a lot of different accounts of his death. That's one of my favorite parts about the blues, is just like... No one knows. Yeah, <laughs> so much legend surrounding everything that it's like, some of these stories are just ridiculous, but they could be true, because these guys were crazy. <laughs> it's just great. I love it. Well, here are the legends around Blind Lemon Jefferson's death. Okay. Some say he was poisoned by a jealous lover. Oh, some say he had a heart attack after becoming disoriented during a snowstorm. <laughs> Others say he had a heart attack while being attacked by a dog in the middle of the night. Oh my god. Why? One person said he was killed while being robbed on a royal by being One person said he was killed while being robbed of a royalty payment on board a train. So no one really knows how he died, but I mean 
probably a heart attack, and it's probably nothing as crazy as these, but... No, it was definitely because he was so <laughs> anxious about a snowstorm that he just had a heart attack. He just attack. got confused and had a heart attack. Oh, my god! Here's Blind Lemon Jefferson playing Black Snake Moon. I like his glasses. Yeah, I don't understand why. He's born blind. Why is he wearing glasses? Aesthetic. I don't know. Maybe like his like wardrobe person. Was like, don't wear these. I told you. <laughs> the beginning. Person. It's the beginning of glasses for no reason. He is the first hipster. Tell me that doesn't sound like a name that someone would adopt. Yeah, it does. <laughs> See, this kind of sounds more like what I expect to hear when I think of the blues. He's got like that gravelly kind of voice. And some pretty mama had better come kind of feel the pain in it. We mentioned him a little bit earlier, but I want to touch on Lead Belly because he's Please fascinating. Please touch on Lead Belly. Huddy Ledbetter was born in northern Louisiana. Hold on. Huddy, yes. Huddy Ledbetter is his name. God, that's, that's not his any real name. better <laughs> than Lead Belly. He was born in northern Louisiana sometime in the 1880s. He dropped out of school at age 13 to work the land with his father. He learned many instruments, but he focused on the guitar. At age 16, he left home and started supporting himself as a traveling musician. By 1912, he was living in Dallas with his new wife, where he met and started playing with Blind Lemon Jefferson. It was at this point that Lead Belly started to focus on what would become his primary instrument. His belly. <laughs> the 12-string guitar. No, no. He, it's like he the steel drum. Belly. It's <laughs> Lead Belly. It's the steel drum attached to it. It's his belly, but it's made of lead. And Do you think drums it. are made of lead? I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> the what other instrument could lead possibly be a part of? The 12-string okay. guitar. The real story of Lead Belly is shrouded in myth. Oh. No one is for sure what is fact or fiction, and Lead Belly probably would have been really happy about that. I'm so excited. For instance, no one knows how he got his name. Here are some of the possible explanations given over the years. He was portly and had a large belly. Or he really loved drinking illegal moonshine. Or probably both. He annoyed someone so much he narrowly avoided a shotgun blast to the stomach. <laughs> or it just kind of <laughs> sounded like his last name, Ledbetter. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess yours, with the steel drum, or w that he ate lead, or whatever else. You <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what my first suggestion was. I don't was either, honestly. Uh, Lead Belly had a habit of getting out of control when he was drunk or angry. So the moonshine was definitely a part of it. Yeah, no, he definitely loved moonshine. And he moonshine. probably was a larger man then if he just yeah. had a lot of moonshine. See, like all of that was true. It's just no one knows if that's why he had I think that it's nickname. a pun. I think it's a pun because they were like, oh, that's like your name. Yeah. But also, <laughs> you're fat. Like, I think that that's like... I don't think anyone would say that to his face. And we're about to find out why. Oh. Lead Belly had a habit of getting out of control when he was drunk or angry. Unfortunately, he was frequently both. Oh, my God. He also was never afraid of a fight and rarely lost. Oh, my God. In 1917, after a particularly ugly bar brawl, 
He was arrested and found guilty of murder. Oh, my God. He was given a 99-year sentence. A few years into that sentence, he sang a song for the governor of Texas, asking for a pardon. A year later, he was granted that pardon. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lead Belly's back on the streets. Oh, no. <laughs> but not for long. Oh, no. Five years later, he got involved in a little stabbing incident. <laughs> Which led to assault with intent to murder charges in Louisiana. Incident. <laughs> While in Louisiana State Penitentiary, another prisoner sliced his neck. Oh my god. Lead Belly survived. What? Though he'd have a nasty scar around his neck for the rest of his life, and wound up, despite being sliced open at the neck, clubbing his attacker almost to death. Oh my gosh. <laughs> This led to a stay in solitary confinement and hurt his parole chances. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd say. After applying and getting early release due to, due to budget issues from the Great Depression, what? Lead Belly headed north in 1934. Oh my God. He wound up in New York and was treated with respect due to his being a pivotal figure in the blues explosion. And also because they were all terrified yes, of him. exactly. This is why no one would call him fat to his face, because he would not be <laughs> afraid to... <laughs> Goodness. Even with a sliced open neck, he could still club you to death. He became quite famous and ran in the same circles as people like Woody Guthrie. But once again, he was arrested for assault, another stabbing incident, and went to prison in New York. Like stabbing. <laughs> he just really, really <laughs> likes stabbing. Yes. This was his last day in prison, and he got through it without maiming anybody this time. Oh, I'm so proud of him. After release, he got his own radio show and recorded an album before moving to the West Coast. And this is going like a bit beyond our scope for this episode, because we're getting to the 1940s now. But in the 1940s, he found more success as a recording artist for Capitol Records. He died at the age of like 61. Like Capitol Records? Yeah, Capitol Records. Oh, cool. He died at the age of 61 due to Lou Gehrig's disease. Wow. Yeah. He made it a long time. What a person. Here is Lead Belly playing House of the Rising Sun, which is a song that was made massively popular by the animals in 1964. Do you know that version? Yeah. Yeah. There's a house yeah. in your So he didn't write who wrote it then. No one really knows. It's just kind of like. I didn't know that. One thing we're going to pick up on as we learn about the blues. Well, I mean, we're almost done with this episode. But. A lot of the songs are just kind of shared around between musicians. So, like, the people who record it aren't necessarily the people who wrote it. Like that one lady who's like, oh, I like this song, and then ended all of her shows with that song. Yeah, like, the House of the Rising Sun was probably just, like, a a standard in blues. And, like, one blues musician heard it from another while they were traveling the South, and then they put it in their show, and it just kept going on like that. Okay. But, yeah, here is Lead Belly's House of the Rising Sun. That's Lead Belly. He looks terrifying. That's an older lead belly, too. This might be one of the first recordings ever found. So awesome. But he still doesn't write it. voice does not sound at all like what I would expect. No. It doesn't sound good. Some of that might just be because the recording process isn't that great back then. But 
Yeah. Or they probably just didn't have I don't know, because uh, those ladies were just belting it out. Yeah. So. That's true. All right. Well, that's all I... That's all I have for the blues right now. I just kind of mad belly. Yeah, we're not because like we are gonna focus in on someone next episode, another blues musician. I just had to get lead belly story because it's just so crazy. <laughs> I just wanted you to hear a little bit of it. Lead belly and lemon. The guy we talk about next week also has a really crazy story. I can't <laughs> wait. Neither can Ajax. He's probably one of my favorite musicians in like history just because of how absurd his story is and the fact that no one knows all that much about him but That's there's so all great. these legends about him oh man this is gonna be so, so i'm fun. very excited to tell you about him i can't wait does he have a funny name too no oh it's robert johnson that is so boring that doesn't mean anything to you but other people are gonna be like oh robert johnson yeah because people know robert johnson mm. well i'm not people all right. Well, yeah. I know baby seals <laughs> and lead belly, <laughs> and I already forgot Lemon's first name. Blind is his first. It's <laughs> 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 Blind Lemon Jefferson. <laughs> oh God, I'm done. I'm done. Goodbye, people. <laughs> All right. Um. Um. Look at oh, the hold up. We have Correction Corner. Oh, Correction Corner. I just have it in a different script. Do we have, <laughs> do we have a, a theme song for Correction Corner? We don't. You can make one up right now if you want. Correction Corner. Correction Corner. Okay, great. In the episode, the end of the 1800s episode, where we talked about the birth of recorded music, Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that a guy invented a talking clock, but I forgot who the guy actually was who invented it. Do you remember that? Because it's when you started counting and you didn't stop until I ended the episode. Oh, <laughs> I remember <laughs> doing that. I remember yes. thinking it was really annoying, it was and, but I committed, and so I just <laughs> had to keep going. Yes, <laughs> but it, was it made me forget that you were talking about a talking <laughs> clock. Yes. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that was recorded in 1878 by Frank Lambert. And that's the actually the oldest recording that is playable without the aid of digital tools. Do um, we have a recording of it? Is it just counting? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not that great. I'll, I mean I can link it, but I've listened to it and I was like, you can barely understand what it is. But Weird. yeah, there's no point playing it here. Is it basically just me being like one? Yes, except <laughs> a lot more murky. There's a lot of one. good resources. No, yeah. don't start this. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good resources that go more in depth on this topic than I did, since it isn't my area of expertise. Since you don't like science, and it's you not want to tell me about sciencey stuff. It's not really within the scope of this podcast either. So I'll you link. You like saying scope today? Have I said that more than once? Yeah. All right. Well, cool. I'll link to a good resource from our friends at the Centuries of Sound podcast, Ooh. who have been really helpful in researching different aspects of the show, and they've been really great about like pointing out helpful things they're really into the like more technical side of it too so oh, cool. they do a lot better at that than i do i love that in the ragtime episode we recapped the phonograph stuff we talked about right and we kind of like talked about the difference between phonographs and gramophones okay and i kind of forgot because edison invented the phonograph and i wasn't sure how the gramophone fit in i didn't mm -hmm. know if it was like a later development of it or what mm -hmm. turns out they're the same thing they're just two different oh. words for the same thing Cool. Because we were talking about how, like, the Grammys right. look like a gramophone, which I'm 
I didn't look this up, but that's probably true because a gramophone is a phonograph. They are the first thing. So, yeah. Cool. All right. That's all I have for Correction Corner. Everyone check out that link yes. about... Centuries um, of Sound podcast. Yeah. Centuries of Sound. I'm going to sound so bad after you plugged that, but I meant the Nashville one, too. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Do that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Both are very cool. One is to help support families who were displaced by a natural disaster. And yes. one is for fun, <laughs> which are both great things. Yes. Sorry, I interrupted you. And <laughs> no, that was it. important as well. Cool. All right. They're well, our friends. We like them and we support them too. Yes, we do. Join us next week where we talk about Robert Johnson, who might be one of my favorite. Who has a boring name. He's probably but a my really cool story. My favorite person in American music history. I'm very excited to tell you his story. Why am I not your favorite person in American music history? Make a record and then maybe you will be. All right. Challenge <laughs> accepted. It's dropping in 2022, y'all. That's Watch a short out. time frame. Are you sure you want to? I'm going to collab <laughs> with all my favorite artists. It's going to be great. It's going to be such a good time You're for me. We're writing a lot of checks right now. I'm not sure you can <laughs> cash them. Guys, uh, keep keep a, a lookout for my emails. Uh, <laughs> walk the moon. Matt Carney. <laughs> Quality House. I know y'all are all listening. Halsey, I could use you on lyrics. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>